Hello and welcome to the Curator Salon podcast. I'm your host, Geeta Joshi. Today, my guest is Danny Dunson. Welcome, Danny. Thank you, Geeta. How are you? I'm great, and I'm really excited to talk to you today. I'm um, excited to speak with you. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I know your work mostly through um, Gallery 1957, which is a gallery based out in Accra in Ghana, but you're actually more of an independent curator. Can you give us a bit of background and how you came to be working with them? Yes, I have a really great relationship with the country of Ghana. I've been going back and forth for about, uh, since uh, 2013, so about eight years now. First, I started off as a undergraduate uh, study abroad program, and then I did an independent study there where I came back with a Fulbright uh, scholarship grant um, in 2016 through 2017. And that's when actually I met uh, Gallery 1957 family and owners, Marwan Zakim, a dear friend and colleague, and I did a show with a Ghanaian artist, Kwame Katabanfo, who installed 1,200 sculptures of ancestral enslaved Africans who were going to be dispersed throughout the world during the slave trade. And it was the exact project that I was working on to kind of memorialize that event, because there's never been a memorial, so to speak, especially one on the grounds where it actually took place. And this took place in the slave dungeons that are underneath the castles in Cape Coast. And he installed 1,200 busts. And I was my first major curation. I curated that show. It was a huge undertaking out of my own country, away from the resources that I knew and the resource connections. But I was able to build a small team and we did it. And it turned out to be an amazing project. And Marwan was impressed by that, and we developed our friendship then. And recently, uh, he always checks out what I'm up to, and um, we'll probably get into that more. But recently, he saw I was busy again, and he wanted to engage further with me, and that's how we reconnected in 2020. That's amazing. That um, exhibition sounds so powerful. Was your um, art history training, because I know you trained in art history in the U.S. initially, was mm -hmm. that around um, African art or was, did that have more of a Western, European, American focus? Absolutely. It was a Western um, art focus, which is such a great question. Thank you for asking that because it really spurred my interest in seeking what was classified as the other and positioning it as the central. Uh, especially if it's central for my own identity. If it is not the other, if everything else feels like the other, I decided to take ownership of that and accountability for my own education. And I started to customize my classes and the University of Illinois at Chicago. So amazing because they, they had guest professors who specialized in diasporic art, uh, West African art, um, and brought them in and I was kind of like the only person of color or definitely I was I was the first African-American male to graduate in art history um, from that program undergrad so um, I think because I was there I was trying very hard to grasp this thing that I loved so much they took it upon themselves to to 
to do a little bit more, um, considering that there's so less that has been done in these arts. So they tried to compensate for that. And they did in many ways. And one of those ways was to convince me to not go to Europe uh, to study abroad, but to go to West Africa along with my father. Um, he, he, he's, he's passed away since, but he, he definitely wanted me to experience that. And initially I was going to go to Rome and I was interested in extracting black images from Renaissance, medieval, um, works, uh, Renaissance works, Baroque works, that type of thing, and just kind of extracting that one stranger, that one maybe nobly dressed person, or that one person who was an accessory to a central character, or a prop, or a servant usually, or someone who's treated as much with as much attention as an animal or a plant would be in the composition. I wanted to draw those people out and and, and humanize them and think about them. And I think that's still a beautiful project, but it's been done quite a bit by different people in different ways. It wasn't until I got to Ghana that I realized that um, black art, art from the continent that has been dispersed throughout the world and also that's still indigenously there has its own autonomy and it has its own agency. And I wanted to explore that and I no longer looked for affirmation through the Western canon. And I realized that there's several canons of art um, that are as old or if not older than the Western canon. And I think some of the experiences I had in my education, for instance, there's, for instance, in my survey class, there was one page on West African art, one page. And it had an Igbo mask and that was it. And you were supposed to turn and then you were in North Africa, Egypt. And most of that was so Eurocentricized at that time and kind of sterilized of all of its Africanness. Uh, so I, I was hungry and that's how I got into this space. I, a lot of it was self-taught and a lot of it was also cultivated by the university helping me to navigate it because they were clueless as well. And they said, well, we've got to do something. He's smart. He's here, he's ours, let's do it. And it came together. What an amazing story. Yeah, I do hear this where, you know, black, um, where black students have to find their own, um, do their own research, particularly around African-American art. And obviously, you know, you're actually looking at African art as well. And then how that is so, you know, one presented through the lens of history, but then, you know, what you're doing now is obviously working with contemporary artists and letting yeah. that be the focus, right? Let's you know, celebrate where we are now as well without exactly. forgetting the historical side. So I wanted to talk about Homecoming, the aesthetics of the cool, the new exhibition opening on 25th of March at Gallery 1957, where you've really pulled together quite the trinity of artists. Can you tell us about this show? Yes, uh, I think it starts with its title. First, Homecoming, all three of these artists, Mwaku uh, Bwafo, and Otis Kweku, they're all from Ghana. They're all from the city of Accra. And they all went to the same university, Ghana College of Fine Art, which was this amazing institution that unfortunately is no longer in existence recently. I believe maybe three years ago, it may have closed. And, but they learned a certain painterly style that was precise and disciplined and very much according to a Western stylized of painting, uh, stylized school of painting, but 
also gave them room to explore a bit. And with those foundations, each of these artists have found their way into this certain type of coolness, which brings up the title of the second half, which is what I'm responsible for in the titling of the, the essay and as on the curatorial team for this project. Uh, the aesthetics of the pool is written by Robert Ferris Thompson, who is this amazing American, white American uh, art historian and, and, and professor. And I mentioned that he's a white American because he's devoted his entire life to black art. And he does it in a way that truly, I believe, de-neutralizes and, and decentralizes the white gaze. Um, and he writes it as if anyone, someone black would have written it, or, you know, he, he really had a love and passion for it. But within this aesthetic of the cool, he goes through the imagery and the cultural type of gesticulation that comes from Nigeria and Ghana and this kind of slowing down this this idea that later became the 1950s 1940s and maybe 1960s hollywood version of being too cool for school you know the dark glasses the languid walks the the few utterances like you know not too excited he centralizes an argument that that originates in the arts and cultural practices in west africa and he talks about several tribes several ethnic groups in several countries, and he brings up uh, Ghana, and he talks about the word Juo, which is D-W-O, which if in Ghana they'll say Ma Juo, which means something like good evening or in the coolness of the evening. So when I look at these painters, and of course it's a play on words because it's just cool as an interesting and awesome and something we love, and it has a hipness to it, but they are all a certain type of action painter versus someone like Jackson Pollock, where he rigorously and frenzied himself around a canvas listening to bebop and other music. And here, these guys are kind of channeling other cultural um, and perhaps even spiritual practices that slow this process down. But there's still this kind of... Uh, bodily gesticulation with the work. It's a athletic movement, especially watching someone like Mwaku Buako, who primarily works on really large scale paintings. And he was a former amateur uh, tennis player on his way to becoming a professional tennis player. Still very good player. I suggest you don't play against him <laughs> if you want to win. But he, you can see the stroke of his of his serve, so to speak, um, the, the rigor in his body movements, but also the control. But it's a natural control. It's just simply cool. And all three of these artists, they bring that out in their work and they personify, again, that kind of 1950s, which also happened quite a bit in 1970s and 1960s photography in West Africa, from Senegal, from Ghana, from Nigeria. There was this amazing repose and elegance and it all comes up in their work. So I thought they are the, the new kings of cool, so to speak. And that's where we were thinking homecoming and the aesthetics of the cool. So interesting. And Amarco has a, seems to have quite an interest in, um, I always think of his work with very bold patterned shirts and textiles and you know, fashion. Is that a big thing for him? I, I think it also shows up quite a bit in his own personal style. Every time I see him and I've seen him 
many times, and I'll see him very soon next week with, with the opening. He's always stylish. He's always dresses so cool. <laughs> there's a sensuality to it. There's a performance with it that seems authentic, but also seems highly curated and thought about, but natural. Um, all of them have that about themselves as well. So those patterns that you see Mwaku bring about quite a bit in his work come from the, the patterns he saw in old wallpapers in Austria. And so some of those are just European, um, a European connection with the patterns, but also we know about batik and uh, 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 dinkra fabric. We know about... Um, uh, and Cara, which is the Dutch wax, that, that colonial versus indigenous African convergence, which is one of the few convergences where you see the representation of a people and a culture there through the colors and the type of abstraction that was there with a process that came from someplace else. And they come together. So it's very difficult to say, one, if it's African or if it's Dutch or if it's from India, because it truly is, just like many other human convergences in culture, it is a melted, melded together um, process that came about through this interaction, through colonialism. And it's one of those positive things that's left behind. So I think the fabric making, the symbology, the abstraction of West Africa, particularly with something like a kente cloth, where you see these hash marks and these diamond shapes, they show up in Kwesi uh, Bwachwe's work. Um, they show up even in the swirling of the skin, like a tie-dye um, with Mwaku Bwako. And then the cinematic coolness and the stylized dressing that Otis brings to his work. They look like movie film posters of a cooler time. So I think they're all channeling a deep part of their own culture and also applying it to this world culture that makes it so exciting because everyone can relate to it. It gets rid of the specificity, it gets rid of that, but at the same time, specifically, it endows the work with particular cultural tropes, traits, but for the viewer, we don't know all those those intricacies. We just know we love it and we can't stop looking at it. And I think that's masterful. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think when you look at the longer you look at it, there are more layers to it of interpretation and, yes. you know, and art there. It's an amazing explanation. Thanks for that. <laughs> You're welcome. How has the artist's work and your relationship evolved over the years? Uh, these particular artists, have, has their work evolved over the years? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Every artist noticed what I was doing in the curatorial world, which was creating a platform, um, primarily at that time digitally, for these newer artists to be seen. Um, and I was an early adopter of Mwaku's work um, as early as 2018, maybe at the end of 2017, which is when he embarked on his newer style, what we see now. And even some of those earlier versions of that style, you can see his own evolution in that. The same with the others. Um, I've just always supported them. So we've each grown like in isolation of each other, parallel with each other, but we've never really intersected other than being friends, supporting each other's work, supporting each other. Um, Mwaku has, I've been amused for several different artists. I've been amused for Mwaku 
which is such one of the highest honors you can ever be for an artist. And I think because they saw what I was trying to do to move certain elements of the culture forward. So I think that's our relationship. And now at this point, it's just about respect for what each other do. Like Mwaku likes the way that I talk and write about his work and so do the others. And they've seen what I have written for other people. And they say, hey, you know, I want you and I want you to think about and talk about my work because I've had that long relationship with just looking at it and thinking about it. And my time on the continent yeah. puts me in the position where they are. And I think I did it maybe earlier than they did as far as like um, Kwesi and um, Otis, you know, Otis spending time in the United States, Kwesi in, in, in Germany, and of course, uh, with um, Mwaku in Austria, you know, they've all had their experiences outside of Africa. And then I'm coming from the West with this history of a ascendant of colonialism and enslavement uh, with the creation of the new world, very American at the same time, coming over, jumping the pond over to West Africa and almost in culture shock with parts of my own origins. and. So going through that process, I think there was a relation, a spiritual connection before we even met. Like we saw what we each other were doing, um, what we all were doing, and we had a mutual respect. And we still do. That is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Um, tell me about Legacy Brothers. What, do, what does Legacy Brothers do? I know you have a grant and then obviously the curatorial side. Yes. So Legacy Brothers was the name I always wrote under for my independent things like writing for someone. It was the business name I, I did any of my independent work through. But in 2020, I really leveraged it into a, a business where we would be a, a business that, that was socially giving and benefiting. Um, to certain needs. Um, not a nonprofit, um, at least not at this point, but I wanted to do something that would be for profit, but actually have a responsibility about it. And during the dawn of the pandemic, many artists from around the world reached out to me and I was at home, galleries were closed, museums were closed, and they reached out to me just to look at their work. And through the critique and then a lot of virtual visits, uh, Zoom meetings, WhatsApp video, and being moved by their work. Um, even before I started to organize the residency, I was giving money to certain artists because I believed in what they were doing. And since I've spent time in many different places of the world, I knew what even a small amount of the US dollar could do for someone else as far as buying supplies. So with that, uh, I started organically the Legacy Brothers lab and legacy brothers was always something that my brother and i work together with he is basically the silent financial partner he's not in art but we are the legacy of our parents that's where the legacy brothers comes from but it just so happened i met these seven uh male artists um so they became a bit of a band of brothers and we're not exclusive to working with men we want to work with women, anything in between, non-binary, absolutely. It just happened. And I think it's kind of, it was an appropriate thing for this first cohort. And some of these artists I had worked with before, many of them I had never met before until now. 
and we all came together and reflectively thought about bodies of work. So I started to mentor them and bring any type of academic knowledge I knew from studying art, studying art history, having studio classes, tons of them throughout my years. So I realized I knew enough to point them into a greater conceptual path and a theoretical path because they all had the hand the hands of, of geniuses, of masters. That wasn't the problem. They needed to have more exposure to other art, art of their own culture. Think about that, how to infuse that into this contemporary art world. They needed market information. They needed to be aware of predatory situations. They needed to have someone to just kind of take them under their wing and serve as a mentor. Sometimes I'm a papa bear. Sometimes, I mean, I was very protective with them and still am. And my goal was to incubate them um, during this process, represent their work. So we were selling work, but I was selling it at a much higher percentage to them. Um, Sometimes as low as 20% my side, 80% to them so that they could make more money and store that money. So when they have a chance to go to a gallery, they'll have something saved up when it comes a 50-50. So, so with that being said, um, the artists were starting to make a name for themselves via my digital promotion of them. Each artist received a grant at that point. Some grants were bigger than others. At the bare minimum, each artist received a grant that covered travel expenses, um, including flights, um, hotels. They received uh, grants that uh, covered expenses for their um, supplies, canvases, paints, all of these things they needed. One artist in Nigeria received a studio space and living space from us. Um, we were able to afford that for them where they, cause they just didn't live in a space that was conducive for painting. So we took care of that and that. And then we reached out with a Brazilian artist. We were able to do fund a lot of things for him and I have an artist in Atlanta. I have another artist in Senegal, but he's a photographer. So we're waiting to do something next year or this year with him, with other photographers that I'm interested in. I just didn't think it was fair to kind of show him in a sea of painters and everybody wants the painting and no one looks at the photography. So I wanted to really highlight his work. He's an amazing artist. So. That's how it happened. I ended up going to Ghana. Marwan was seeing some of this activity and we met. And about a week, I was supposed to, I was supposed to be there for two weeks. And maybe into the second week, he said, let's just do a show with all of these guys. And then we started thinking of Ghanaian artists that were already in Ghana, who I quickly were able to connect with. Many of them were um, protégés of Amwaku. Uh, and also went to the Ghana to school. So we included them um, as like the host artists who are, you know, the home artists there. And so we showed uh, 10 artists and over 70 pieces of work um, this December with Collective Reflections, uh, which was this amazing account of diasporic and African art from Brazil, United States, by way of Haiti, um, Nigeria, and Ghana. Wow, really is everywhere. And the artists you're working with in labs, so that is, I mean, that's still those artists. Yeah, and they've been signed with a gallery, and um, one artist has just recently been accepted to the Art Institute of Chicago. So most, I'm going to get him here. I'm going to try now. I'm still, like, have to raise money, have to find a way to get him here. 
And uh, I'm so excited about that. Um, so that's, it happened really fast. I didn't think I would show them in a show until maybe this year, but less than six months of us working together, their talents really grew. They all did a body of work and each artist as a capstone project of their residency with me, because it's not a traditional residency. We meet virtually and in person when we can. And at the end of that time, however long it is, at least a year, they come up with the salon show which is a body of about 10 pieces of work. And I will be showing those in my home. And the first one up is Patrick Eugene. Um, and he's uh, the Haitian American um, from Atlanta, Georgia. And I just visited him last week in person, which was amazing. He, his work was in the show in Ghana, but uh, he wasn't able to make it due to COVID restraints. So I got to meet him for the first time. We're traveling a little bit more here. And he's doing his salon show in April. And then he has his fantastic solo show, the big one with the gallery in Accra, uh, late uh, July, early August. Fantastic. I was going to talk to you about the salon show, but obviously you've just told us about it. Is, is that something? <laughs> well, Sorry. You've got the one in April. Is there going to be another one later in the year for another artist? Yes, I'm trying to. Yes, I'm. I'm trying to show all six of the painters this year. So hopefully, month after month, we will have another one. Um, they're all preparing for that, but they're also they're preparing for solo shows, art fairs. So I might have to spread some of it into 2022. And then lastly, I am planning another exhibition for these artists. A collective show, Collective Reflections Part 2, except I want it in Chicago. Oh. And that would be partnered with Gallery 1957 as well. So we're working on that. Oh my goodness, that sounds amazing. Just going back to Homecoming, which opens on the 25th of March, is that, are we going to be able to see that virtually? Uh, I don't know if the gallery is going to do, I know we're going to have some video presentations. I'm going to be doing one where I'll be walking through like on a tour of the work and talking about it for sure. Uh, but I'm not sure if they're, when you're thinking of a virtual setup, I'm not sure if they're doing that. Um, because one good thing about being in Ghana, the COVID numbers are still very low. And um, they had a slight spike in December and January, but they've returned back down. So many people will be able to see it in person. Um, there were quite a few people at the opening of our show in December and people were masked and protective. So I think because of the place of the world, the place, um, the place in the world that this gallery is in, it allows us to have actual real shows where people can come in. Um, and then we send out our PDFs where they're the flat images of high resolution images. So I think that's what we usually do with Gallery 1957. Okay, well, we're not allowed to travel out of the UK at the moment, so. Oh, but I tell you what, I'll FaceTime you and, we'll, yeah. and I'll, I'll give you my own virtual tour. Absolutely, Gita. Yeah, oh, I would love to. <laughs> Danny, it's been amazing talking to you. Thank you so much for your Thanks. time. I'm really looking forward to this show, following your journey, staying in touch, all the things, so. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to talk to you. Congratulations on everything you've been up to. I'm going to have to interview you. I think that is what's next, uh, Will, because you're doing some exciting things. And thank you for providing this platform, especially for those artists and, and art workers who are not always seen as often. So Yeah, I think so our work is very behind the scenes, isn't it? But it is. It is. So.
So, but we're going to bring it out to the front. So, <laughs> amazing. Thank you, Daddy, so much. The Curator Salon hopes you enjoyed this production.